0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Jesus said, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life and that day catch you unexpectedly, like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord
1: Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. I must admit that I don't care much for the gospel reading for the first Sunday in Advent. (laughs) And Becky and I have had this conversation. It's been on my mind as I've thought about the fact that I would be preaching this Sunday. Uh, I just find it very hard to preach about the second coming of Christ. And even though that is very much a part of our faith, It's hard, I think, for us to grasp it. It seems to be an intangible that's just beyond us. For the people of the latter part of the first century, uh, they, too, were becoming impatient. They were wondering if Christ really was going to return. But they believed that it was possible in their own day. And so, for them, I think it was a, a much more present possibility, if not a reality. But for us, it's really difficult to get our heads around well, with that running through my mind, then came Thanksgiving. <laughs> Nearly every year, we spend Thanksgiving at our son's home in Newton. And we uh, spend it with uh, our son's in-laws. It's a rather large family. There are four of us, and there were 22 of them. <laughs> they are Jewish. We are Christian. So it's the one holiday that we can share together, and it's really wonderful. The fa- Members of the family have... Uh, grown up Orthodox, some have gone to other traditions of Judaism, but they are, uh, I would say that they are are faithful Jews. They care very much about their tradition and their faith. So it's a wonderful time for us to come together. We're very much now a part of their family. We're very fond of our son's mother-in-law. She's a very active woman in her 80s who has experienced much in her life she lost family members in the Holocaust. She lost her husband about two years ago. And she also has uh, close family members living in Israel. So for her, I'm sure some of, uh, of what she hears in the news causes a fair amount of anxiety because of all the trouble in the Middle East. Well, after our dinner, we were sitting in the, in the dining room. Uh, Janice is her name. Uh, she and I and Lou and a couple of other people were in the dining room. In the living room were a number of the younger members of her family. And a couple of them are really extraordinary musicians. So they started to play a tune. It was clear that it was a, it was a Jewish tune. And pretty soon the whole living room was singing this song in Hebrew. And I asked Janice what the song was. And she said, it's Jerusalem of gold. And then she went on to talk about what that song meant. She said that Jerusalem had been a divided city from 1948 until the end of the Six-Day War in 1967. And when the city was divided, Jews were not able to get to the Western Wall, which is the most holy place for a Jew to pray, because that Western Wall is a remnant of the Second Temple. As she talked about that, she began to tear up. And finally, at one point, just had to stop talking about it. It was so emotional to her. Well, shortly before the Six-Day War, Naomi Shemer had written that song for a national contest. She won the contest, and the song became so popular, there were some who wanted to replace the national anthem of Israel with a Jerusalem of gold. In fact, the soldiers who entered into the Old City were singing Jerusalem of gold. It contains this stanza. The wells are filled again with water, the square with joyous crowd. On the Temple Mount within the city, the shofar rings out loud. Naomi Shemer said that in writing that stanza, she saw before her eyes 2,000 years of destruction and not the 19 years that had transpired since the establishment of the state of Israel. Now, if you want to hear that song, you can Google the song at the end of the movie Schindler's List, because that's the song they were singing as they were coming out of the concentration camp and I think going off into a sunset. Uh, Some criticized uh, the producers of that film because the the song wasn't really uh, written until 1967. But it's the concept, I think, that that song holds for so many Jews. Now, in talking about this, I want to also acknowledge the tremendous pain on the other side of all of this in Israel. It's a very complicated place, and there are a lot of people suffering on both sides. Well, as I thought about that, I thought that this perhaps gives me a different kind of insight into how important Israel and Jerusalem is to a Jew, and something that I really had not connected with until I heard Janice talking about that. And I also wondered if what she was talking about had something to do with some of the of, of God fulfilling some of God's promises, and seeing in what happened in 1967 for her, at least, an opening of God's promise to her making it possible to go to that Western Wall and to pray. Well, then I started to seriously work on this sermon and and I was avoiding reading uh, Luke again. And I first started by reading Jeremiah. And I'm, I'm often not terribly keen about going into the Old Testament text. We typically preach on the gospel. But I read this opening line from the text for today. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That, I think, was some of what was in Janice's heart as she talked to me about that Jerusalem of gold. I believe that we need to see in in, uh, Advent something a little bit different than perhaps we've seen before, at least for me. I have struggled with Advent uh, a good part of my life. I would actually say that I probably have usually endured Advent because everybody's celebrating Christmas when we're not. And then we celebrate Christmas when nobody else is celebrating Christmas. And then there's all the commercial stuff going on and we feel kind of pulled in two directions. It seems we hear one thing at church and then all around us is all this other stuff. But even more than that, I think for me, I've always talked about it in terms of a time of waiting and a time of preparation. And certainly, as Jim Wood pointed out this morning, this idea of the coming of Christ and the coming of Christ at the end of times, in addition to the coming of Christ in the incarnation. But I I have really struggled with that. And what has helped me so much, I think, in thinking about the events of the past week, And that opening section of Jeremiah is to see that Advent is really a time of promise. It is a time for us to hear the promises of God, especially at a time when we feel and we see our world in so much chaos. Jeremiah was speaking to a community that had been conquered by the Babylonians in 587 before the common era. Jerusalem and the temple had been destroyed The people had been driven out of their land and were sent across the Mediterranean. They were all around that Mediterranean area, but they were so dispersed. It was very hard for them to think of their homeland. The most educated and influential had been taken into exile in Babylon. And we hear this from the psalmist about that exile. By the rivers rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Well, in the midst of that chaos and all of that despair, Jeremiah is preaching a message of hope and a message of promise. He declared that Jerusalem would be rebuilt and the people would return to their homeland once again. In the text today, Jeremiah is prophesying the return of the Davidic kingdom. And that uh, someone in the line of David would once again be king. And that this king would be one who would uh, provide justice to all of the people. Jeremiah was reminding the people that God would be faithful to God's promises. Well, finally, looking at Luke, in the passage from Luke, we hear Jesus describing the signs that would precede the coming of the Son of Man. And it's very interesting. The only term that Jesus uses for himself is the son of man. And that goes back to a uh, to, to the Hebrew scriptures where the son of man is described as the one who would come for judgment. So Jesus is connecting himself with this one who would ultimately come. And Jesus, in describing the situation leading up to it, described all of this chaos both uh, in the world in which people lived in terms of uh, wars and rumors of war that we heard about when we uh, heard the text from Mark, which was only two weeks ago. But also, uh, Jesus is describing upheaval in nature. And I've, I've thought to myself, you know, if there's a generation that's concerned about upheaval in nature, it's this generation where we see the effects of climate change all around us, really. And there are people today who are so concerned they're going to lose their, their, their land and their homes because of the rising oceans. So Jesus was describing this sort of chaotic situation that would precede the coming of the Messiah, the return of the Messiah, uh, the return of the Son of Man. In both that Mark uh, lesson that we had two weeks ago, I think it was, and, and the one from Luke today, We can hear in it the kind of chaos that we find ourselves living in today. It is very upsetting uh, to hear about these shootings that occurred in uh, Colorado Springs, uh, to to realize what uh, state of emergency a lot of Europe is living under at this time. And it's easy for us to believe that this is unique to us, that this hasn't happened to other people, but we know better. In fact, every generation, I think, has lived in a chaotic time. It has been chaos for so many. And in spite of that, there's a word of promise that comes to us. And I think we hear that in Advent. I know that among us there are many who are suffering from various challenges in their personal life. And those challenges can become overwhelming. And we wonder, is God there? Does God care at all? But I think in the Advent message, what we hear is that God will be faithful. God will be faithful to God's promises. I believe part of the Advent message is promise for us. Jesus said, your redemption is drawing near. God's word will never pass away. I want to end with uh, some questions that were raised by Caroline Lewis, who is... uh, Professor at uh, Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Caroline asks, Why Advent? To help us see beyond our present. Why Advent? To give us a lens through which to see God at work when it seems only evil gets the spotlight. Why Advent? To assure us that God has secured a future for us that breaks into our present and really, truly, Changes are here and now. Amen.